we got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. You don't got time Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. We uh, have plenty of audio to play for you on today's show. Uh, the two coordinators for football, Andy Kotelnicki, Brian Borland, spoke with the media. We have Bill Self, post-game audio from Emporia State. We'll also talk Basically, with- we don't want to work, so we recorded <laughs> a bunch of stuff, and you can listen to them instead of us. And Craig Hershiser and Matt Llewellyn will join us in the 4 o'clock hour to talk some high school football. But uh, we start the show, KU basketball, with a big surprise of the night. Yes, that Wait, is they lost true. to Emporia State? No. Oh. They went 11 of 11 at the free throw line. Whoa. Yeah. Pretty surprising, right? Actually, the biggest surprise of the night, Dewan Harris got the start, which that's not a surprise after the Jalen Wilson news. But what is a surprise is Dewan Harris was not starting necessarily for Jalen Wilson. Dewan Harris might have been starting for Remy Martin because Remy Martin did not start and then that put Connor Tehan into the starting lineup. Which will there ever be a scenario? I mean, what's when Jalen Wilson comes back, that that would that would mean that with Jalen Wilson on this team, Connor Tehan is still the first guard off the bench. That can't be how it's gonna work no, in the future, I, right? I don't think I, I would relate it to anything, honestly. He played, I think, seven minutes despite the fact that he started the first half and the second half, like out of comparison. He's gonna start senior night too. I don't think he will. And this is something that actually I saw doesn't got he, brought doesn't up. Doesn't he start every? Well, go ahead. Go well, ahead. hold on. So uh, this is something I saw got brought up. Because Kansas has more than five seniors, he probably will not start. And in addition to that, it's against Texas, who could be a top 10 team. So this could have been a nod to Connor Tehan to say, hey, we know you might not get to start on senior day but we want to make sure you get a start in this season. I'll be interested to see if he gets to start against um, like Tarleton State, something similar. I, I doubt he's going to start against, although Jalen Wilson won't be back for, for Michigan State, but um, that might be interesting to, too, too if, if he starts in one of the the official like regular season games, but still not a, not a major opponent. I, I don't think there's any chance in the world he does. I think this was... A couple things. One, like I said, it could be just a cool nod to a senior. You don't get the chance to start him on senior night. More so than anything. Here's what I think this was. I think this was a message sent to Remy Martin. And and maybe other players as well. And Bill Self talked about after the game the fact that he was unhappy with the practice habits. They had a doubleheader of practice. I, I forget if that was yesterday morning or the day before where they went at like 6 in the morning and then they had another shoot around at 2 o'clock. I think this was a clear message sent by Bill Self to say, hey, you don't get to just walk in here and be the star of the show right away. If you're not doing things the way I don't like it, like we got to fix that. Well, and Self has said many times before that it's it's going to be a huge adjustment for Remy Martin is going to be 
and and to be clear, Self did say he doesn't. That doesn't necessarily mean he views the way he was coached at Arizona State as a negative or a bad thing. It's just that they happen to do things differently here. And you you could be one hundred. He hasn't said right. it publicly that he views it as a negative. Well, I know, but you asked me. No, I'm, I'm not yeah, disagreeing. If you I'm injected just, him yeah. with some, well, I think I'll say this. I think if you inject any coach with truth serum, they're going to say no. The way I do mm-hmm. things is the best way. So I, I think yeah, there is something to that. But I think regardless, even if he truly does think that they're they're different yet equal in terms of quality, it's still he's still got fifteen other players. That he needs to make sure I'm not, you know, I need to make it clear that this is how we do things, and if you don't buy in, you don't play. Um, and yeah, it was an opportunity to send that message. Now, whether or not that message was received, because it was just a, uh, um, just an exhibition game. I, I I think back to, and maybe it wasn't even an effort thing. I'm trying to think. Wasn't there a game? I think it was the 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 2018 Final Four team. That that Yudoka Azabuki had to sit or, or didn't start a, a couple conference games or maybe just one conference game. He played quite a bit, but he didn't start. And in the post game, I think ultimately Self said what what happened was Doak argued with the ref about something, and Self basically had a rule that I'll take care of talking to the officials. You just play, and that led to an argument between Doak and himself. And Doak said and, and Self said, "Fine, then you're not starting." I think I remember that happening. So, yeah, it may not be, you know, it could be a number of things that he's trying to send a message to. And, and yeah, taking away a starting opportunity and showing that, look, I'm serious about this. Because mm-hmm. it's possible that, you know, you can say it all, all throughout practice, but if you don't actually show it, and this was just a chance for him to show it. Yeah, and, and I think it's a couple ways of, of the message you're trying to send. And I do remember the Doak thing. I, I don't remember the story behind it, but you're 100% right on that. Um, and, and this is something Self has talked about in the past. I remember he brought this up, I think, on Hawk Talk in, in maybe the 2018 season. The idea that in the past he has used the bench as a learning tool. He has used the bench as a, hey, if you mess up or if you're not doing things the way I like it, Sorry, you're not going to play, so you better do it the way I like it. And we'll have somebody else come on for you who's still a four- or five-star player or is a really good player in, in certain regards or is going to do it the right way. And he hadn't been able to do that for certain years when he had a thin roster in 2017 and 2018. And um, now you don't have that issue at all because you're super deep. So you can use that as a tool, and he did, and I think what adds to the idea that this would be a message sent to Remy Martin, Remy Martin wasn't even the first guard off the bench either. That was Joe Yesifu. Yeah, Yeah, he was the first guy off with Dewan Harris. So I I definitely think a a message was being sent, and I think what it's about is a couple things. Uh, Again, you heard Self in the postgame talking about, you know, he made some tough shots, like uh, some great makes for him, and, and some of the stuff he did offensively was awesome. But he just said, I wish that he just played better defense. So I think that's a big part of it. Um, the idea that you have this guy who's ultra quick, but maybe doesn't always put as much value on the defensive end. Um, and Talking I think, about Remy? Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's a big part of what Bill Self is talking about. I think Bill Self also talking about the idea of, hey, it's not just the Remy Martin show on the offensive side of the ball. Like, get others involved as well. We want you to be a facilitator. And I think uh, the third and final piece of sending a message to Remy Martin um, well, I guess maybe there's four pieces because you could say maybe it's the practice habits and, and that goes into, you know, wanting to send the message because of practice. But uh, maybe the last thing uh, that would be there is the idea of 
they need Remy Martin, and maybe this is Bill Self, because you know he likes to challenge his point guards, and you know he likes his point guards to be the leader of the team, at least in some regard. Uh, maybe this is him challenging him to be uh, a leader and, and be more of a vocal guy, and you saw how energetic he was coming off the bench, because think about some of the personalities on this team, and this isn't a knock on them, right? It's just who they are. Like, I, I don't think of, like, like Ochai Baji, uh, super nice guy, fantastic player. He's not like your... You know, Josh Jackson, I'm going to trash talk you and I'm going to, you know, Marcus Morris and, and speak up for the team and everything and, and be that vocal leader, right? Like he's more of a leader by example. I think they have a lot of leaders by example on the team, which again is a good thing, but you also need somebody to be the vocal leader as well. Think and about, I think that can be Remy Martin. And I think that's another reason Bill Self would challenge him. Think about how many times, and, and I know um, you kind of started following KU in around 2013 when you decided you were going to go to school here. Um, but I, I can tell you since. Uh, long before that, but even you've been here long enough, Derek, to have noticed this pattern. Think about how many times on senior night we get particularly a guard uh, coming forward and saying, I hated self and I wanted to transfer my freshman and mm -hmm. sophomore year. And then now I, I, I see what he was trying to do for me and I love him. Uh, and, and, and I, you know, so the, the, the pressure cooker that Bill Self puts his guards into in you know, particularly in their freshman and sophomore years, and then by the time they become juniors and seniors, they they almost become a pair of eyes for him on the court because they've gone through that that gauntlet that he puts his guards through. He's got to do that now with if he views Remy Martin as the potential vocal leader on this team, he's had you know ten weeks to do that, mm -hmm. and he's you know he's only going to get one season. Um, I did go through. I think um, if and this is just a quick scan of the box score. Uh, from KU Athletics website, by my count, uh, um, Remy Martin was sixth on the team in minutes played, but it's notable that two guys who were in front of him were Joseph Yesifu and Bobby Pettiford. Yeah. Remy Martin played just over 18 minutes, Pettiford played 20 minutes, and Yesifu played just shy of 21 minutes. So it not only was, was Yesifu the first guard off the bench, Pettiford also played more minutes than Remy Martin. Now, again, late that game was getting out of hand. KU was kind of alternating between a 25 and 30 point lead in the second half. Um, so that maybe that had something to do with it. So, but it wasn't just the, you know, the fact that he didn't start, and it wasn't just the fact that he, you know, took. And I'd be willing to bet that he told, you know, that that he told Remy, "Look, you're not starting." But I'd also be willing to bet that he didn't tell him. You're also not going to be the first. I bet that was a surprise in game mm -hmm. uh, for Remy Martin. To, that when you know, I'm sure. Well, I, I don't want to put, you know, I don't want to assume things. I I think it's possible that Remy was sitting on the bench, going, "Okay, I'm going to be the first off the bench," and then he calls Yesifu. Mm -hmm. And I mean, all that said, with the fact that Bill Self is challenging Remy Martin. And for good reason, I think, because of how important he is going to be to this team. Like, I think that. You know, if, if Remy Martin doesn't live up to the billing and you don't get what you're hoping out of him, you can still be really good, right? There's a lot of really good basketball players on this team. Um, but I think the difference between Remy Martin being that all Big 12 level player, uh, the guy that you're hoping to be, you know, a Big 12 player of the year, all-American candidate, like that might just at the end of the day be the difference between you being a really good team and a legit title contender. So every Bill, or yeah, every Bill Self to me, every Bill Self coach team comes into a game up eight or ten to nothing, based purely on Bill Self and his ability to draw up 
baseline out-of-bounds plays and sideline out-of-bounds plays. Great Bill Self teams, you can add another 8 to 10 points on that because they have a player, whether it's been Frank Mason, Devontae Graham, they have a player where in a moment where they need a point, there's just nothing the defense can do. That player's going to score there. And that's, you know, Self can draw up probably, like I said, 6 to 10 points worth of plays. But then when you have a player that when they need a point, they're going to get, they're either going to draw a foul and get to the line or they're going to make a layup or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think that there's a very good chance Self views Remy Martin as that guy, mm-hmm. as the, you know, the, the okay, we, you know. He's the tough shot maker. Our, exactly. Yeah. Our, 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 you know, our first two sets, you know, broke down. We started our, you know, we started our offensive set at 25 seconds on the shot clock. The first go-around didn't work. The second go-around didn't work. There's eight seconds left on the shot clock. We need something. I think he views Remy Martin as that guy. And the difference between a lot of good teams since Bill Self has been here and great ones is when they've had a player that when everything breaks down, you can just make a shot. Yeah, and I think while that will be the precipice of this season, how the Remy Martin experience goes, how much he buys in, how much Bill Self can get him to play like he wants while still unlocking the guy that he is. I will say this, from a fan uh, perspective, and you saw a lot of this on social media last night, I freaking love watching that dude play. And you can see some of the issues that would make Bill Self unhappy. Sometimes there are shots that you're kind of going, no, 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 yes, or the defense and stuff. But he is so fun to watch. He's going to be an absolute fan favorite. And I, I think it's interesting because whenever people talk about like their favorite KU teams all time. You know, obviously the first, uh, I guess, requirement of that, you have to win a lot of games, right? Nobody's ever talking about like, oh, well, this KU team, even though they got a four seed, like they were one of my favorite teams ever. Uh, because I mean, just at a school with high expectations, like you're going to have to go deep in March or you're going to have to get a one or a two seed or something like that, win the Big 12. Like that's kind of a prerequisite for somebody to, say they're one of your favorite teams because you have to have success. You experience more joy. But to that notion, if this team does have that type of season and has all the wins to go with a talented roster and they have a deep run in March, they win the Big 12, whatever it is, I think this team's going to be looked upon very, very fondly because when you look at some of the players on the roster, Remy is an absolute blast as a fan to watch. Joe Yesifu is like an athletic marvel. He's super fun to watch. you got this six-foot athletic guard who's dunking the basketball over guys and has no fear in the lane. Ochai and Dave, you're talking about program guys. That's something that people always talk about in college basketball and I never really been one to subscribe to this, but you do have the idea of sometimes it's more fun to watch when you know the names of guys a little bit longer. And you have that with Ochai and Dave, and they're such nice guys that have stuck in the program. You have some nice freshman chips who, in a couple years, when we look back on this team, you could be saying, like, who knows? Bobby Pettiford is a junior, could be like all Big 12 player. And we go, man, and Bobby Pettiford was coming off the bench on that team, too. And you kind of have a bit of that. I guess, get under the opponent's skin type of vibe from guys like Remy Martin talking trash or from Christian Brown, who is this white guy who's just going to shoot threes on you, talk a little trash, and then he'll dunk on you, and he is going to, I don't know, he might end up being like one of the most hated players in the Big 12 this year by opposing fan bases. Can you imagine how much KU fans would hate Christian Brown if he played for Iowa State or Oklahoma State or Oklahoma Mm -hmm. or K-State? Or nationally, if he played for Duke, right? They would hate him. You have all the pieces here for this team. 
again, it comes all down to like the wins uh, as far as that goes. But I think this is a really likable team. One of my favorite memories, and I, I think this was the 06-07 team, but it was the same group of players that went on to win the national championship. One of my favorite memories was this breakaway that you, you thought for the life of you that that uh, it was it was Boston College in Allen Fieldhouse. And you thought KU was just going to have this tremendous breakaway, and Boston College actually did a great job. I think it was off of a steal or maybe a missed shot, but Boston College did a really good job to um, get back and prevent a fast break. And, and then Chalmers just kind of had this incredible readjustment. And the reason I think it was 06, 07 is because I think his pass went off to um, Julian Wright. But you, you thought, okay, here comes Chalmers on a breakaway dunk. Wait, no bring it back out because Boston College has, has, has you know, just readjusted and, got in, and basically broke your fast break. And instead of pulling it back out, you just had a, sh- a shooting star of Julian Wright flying to the rim, and it was just this beautiful kind of around-the-back bounce pass that um, Chalmers sent to Julian Wright that he dunked home. And there's just this shot from the sideline. As soon as the ball leaves his hand – he kind of turns around and he just has this Chalmers has this huge grin on his face because he knows what a freakish play they just made. And and I think when you when you when you have guys who love playing the game and who love I mean everybody uses the cliche of oh he's a gym rat, but I think there's something to be said about guys who genuinely love basketball. They love being around each other and they love showing off how good they are. Like really good teams start to, and and this, you know, we'll see if this team does this. They love to challenge themselves. They love to sit there and go, you know, okay, we'll we'll, we'll go up against a a top 10 team and we'll we'll go blow for blow against another great team. But right now we're playing a lesser team and we're beating them by 30 at halftime. Let's try to beat them by 50. Mm -hmm. Right now we're up by 40. Let's try to get up 50. You know, is this team going to be like that? Yeah, and I think that's a big reason why Self, again, to tie this all back, was sending the message there. One thing that I'm curious about before we take a break here, um, Dewan Harris, as we mentioned, obviously got the start, and that's something that we had been kind of building up to the last couple weeks with all the talk that surrounded him. Now, I expected him to be a big part of the rotation. I expected him to start once Jalen Wilson got suspended. I don't think I expected quite maybe what we saw where he looked like he was the clear-cut number one guard, at least on night one. I don't know if it'll end up, like, Remy Martin might end up usurping that, but... He's put on some pounds. Yeah, he has. In a good way. He looks quick. He looks fast. His shoulders are big. Oh, my gosh, yeah. The hands are so quick. He reminds you a lot of, of, I don't know, a a little bit of Marcus Garrett, just in terms of the hand quickness, not in terms of the other stuff on defense. He pass a lot better. Yeah, exactly. I I just mean, like, the the hand quickness and and poking balls free. But honestly, he reminds me a little bit, like, overall of, like, Russell Robinson. Yeah, and, and, I mean, I, you know, that's a a good comparison. Mm -hmm. I I think... um, I think a lot of great perimeter defenders here at KU, as great as they have been, and I, I, I include Mario Chalmers and Russell Robinson and, and um, Marcus Garrett, I think a lot of the really great ones benefited from having a safety net of a shot blocker behind him. I do think defensively that might be one thing that this team lacks, although uh, I think Dave had a had a SWAT last night. I don't night. think he's bad at it. He's just not he's like just not, he's not Cole Aldridge. He's not a Jeff volleyball Withy, player right, like yeah. Jeff, Jeff Withy was. Um, but yeah, he, he definitely has, he's, he's the guy that you look at where he looks, you know, 
unimposing from his height, and then he stretches out his arms, and you're like, oh, okay, he's a spider. Excellent. Yeah. And, and, and that's, you know, he's got a very unique build in that way. I, I uh, yeah, he's almost like a mix of Aaron Miles with the passing, not quite that good. Russell Robinson uh, with the defense. It, it's very interesting, but I, I also, he scores six points, and, and this is something I actually talked to him at KU Media Day, and he mentioned to me, and I, I thought this was very apparent in the game, he said uh, something along the lines of he loves all these guards and how quick they are and how it gives him the ability this year that he can basically, with the other guards, be the guy who runs down the court in transition. And he scored, I think, twice on transition buckets where he was just the first guy down the floor, caught a pass, gets an easy layup. And easy buckets are great when you come by him. That's why getting in transition is obviously very important. And for a guy who has that feel for the game, to be able to unlock that uh, for somebody who we don't know how much he's going to score necessarily, and I think... I, I think that limits the the cap of like how good of a season can this be because I'm not expecting it to be like an all American level season because of the fact that like I, I don't know, statistically a good year for Dewan Harris could be like six points, six assists, three rebounds, and two steals or something. Like it doesn't it doesn't jump off the page, but the value that he is going to provide you this season just overall with everything he does, with moving the ball, with being a guy that doesn't need shots to impact things, but also as long as he can hit shots when he's open so the defense has to at least respect him and it creates the spacing, he might end up being the most valuable player on the team. If he, Yeah, well, particularly if he shows a, a threat to drive mm-hmm. because you've got shooters. There are previous years where you had a, a, a guy who could drive um, and, and, you know, he could either drive and, and collapse the defense and have to push it out, or he would drive and, you know, just hit a layup and, and a lot of times an and one. But the the advantage of this team is you've got at least two guys, I think, in Brown and Ochai who pretty reliably can make at least open threes. And so if, if you know, if, if you show an ability to drive and score, um, then the defense is going to have to pay attention to you and, and you get one of those situations where they pick their poison, uh, they'll say, well, you can either have the layup or the instinct is to collapse in. And then you've got a guy who, you know, Ochai, he's not going to shoot, you know, 50% on all of his threes, but I'd be willing to bet Ochai will shoot 50% on open threes. Yeah, he just might. And having a guy like Dewan Harris, he's going to be the ultimate glue guy this year. Like, he's going to be brought up on all the glue guy teams and, uh, definitely going to be one of the, even if he's not the best player on the team, will be one of the more valuable ones. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 at 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in. We've got high school football on the airwaves this Friday night. Hopefully we get more high school football on the airwaves following this Friday night because we are in the playoffs, and that would mean that the Lawrence schools would advance. As always, you'll be able to hear the Lawrence High Chesty Lions on KLWN with Hank Booth, Matt Llewellyn on the call. They'll be on the road against Junction City, so that'll be a, a little further away than what Craig will be on the call with. I, I can't make it. I've got a couple of Baker basketball games that uh, I got a broadcast for the school. So Joel Becker is going to be on the call with Craig for that one on 92.9 The Bowl, bowl929.com. And the little shorter drive is mentioned for at Washburn Rural in the 5-4 matchup with the winner likely playing Derby. So I guess we'll start there. Is there any worry at all that you look ahead into a matchup and say, oh, we could be playing the number one seed in the undefeated Derby Panthers? Or do you think that 
maybe gets uh, mitigated a little bit in the fact that you are playing such a good opponent on Friday night? Well, I hope it's mitigated, uh, but I think in, in these players' minds, it, it you know it's sure to creep in there. Um, Derby is a powerhouse; have been for a while. They have uh, they've been the the not just a stumbling block, but the roadblock as far as Lawrence schools are concerned. The last several years and uh, advancing through the through the state ter- uh, state tournament, state playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the guys are going to be thinking about it, but. But you know, you and I both know that, uh, boy, their their attention better be focused on this Washburn Rural team. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, Derby has been, you know, the roadblock several different times. I think 2015, 2016, both to Derby. 2017 was the quarterfinal loss. I think 55 to 49 in overtime. Like Derby has been the block, and and I think that's you know going to be part of it. But uh, I, I do think. The fact that you do have this senior group that has led this big turnaround for Free State, like I, I don't think maybe as much of those, I don't know, questions about can you focus on the right things are in question as much for this team, maybe. Well, probably not. Uh, I think they've shown all year they can do that. Yeah, it's a it's a senior heavy group. Uh, if you if you look at the the two deep rosters, um, it, it's dominated by seniors, so that leadership should show up. Um, I was a little disappointed, honestly, last week in the third quarter. I, I thought that um, I thought Free State would come out and take care of their business a little bit better in that third quarter. So I don't know where the letdown was, but um, you know it was it wasn't it wasn't as efficient as I would as I would like to have seen. So you know, uh, hopefully uh, hopefully those guys have had a good week of practice. Their their minds are on on Washburn Rural. And they understand. You know what their game plan is, and they've done their film studies, and and they're ready to go tomorrow night. Yeah, and so what you alluded to, they're up thirty-five nothing at halftime. Mm-hmm. Um, Wichita South ends up, I guess, winning the second half, so to speak, twenty-two to fourteen, and had a little bit of a chance there to to make it a little bit of a game before a, an interception in the red zone. Um, so is that worrisome at all, or do we just chalk part of that up to the fact that it's human nature once you get up that big and also from like the opposite side of things, you know, if you're Wichita South, like fight or flight, you're down. It's your last playoff game for the seniors, maybe of their career, their last football game. Right. And obviously you're going to fight to the very end. We do need to acknowledge that the first half was incredibly easy mm-hmm. for the Firebirds. Um, five possessions, I believe, and five scores. And um, and the passing game was, was just stellar last week. So, so it is, as you say, natural to let down a little bit. Um, you know, you go in at halftime. There's a lot of back slapping and fist bumping and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, and and um, and intellectually, you know, the game's in the bag. Uh, so it, so it is fairly easy to let down. So I guess just just flush it, focus on rural, take care of your business. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at that game specifically, was there anything that you come out of it like different in the way that you view this Free State team, or is it kind of just the same recipe for success from that one? Because there was one thing for me, but I'm yeah. curious what you think. Well, the passing game. Yeah, uh, the that deep, was for me as well. Yeah, the deep ball. And uh, for wh- for whatever reason, and I could not figure this out, but Wichita South just persistently allowed receivers behind the deep, behind the pass defense, behind the secondary, and, you know, Basic rule, right? Don't let anybody behind you. But uh, play after play, we found free state receivers. You know, it could have been worse because I mm-hmm. believe there was a deep, a deep post route that um, 
that was dropped. Yeah, I think it was Willits. I think so, mm-hmm. and it was it was a touchdown for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so yeah, the deep ball was was certainly more on display, and uh, Jet showed us his arm, and um, so you know add add something else for the other team to to prepare for. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'll say this: I'm I'm a little surprised we haven't seen almost more when you have guys like Jared Willits and Manny Apelle and Jordan Brown just throw up a jump ball. Sometimes, mm-hmm. if you have a one-on-one, like throw a fade route uh, to the end zone. We've seen it a few times, but I think we saw it a little bit even more in that game. And uh, the big question for me, like even in some of these past years uh, where Free State has, you know, had some good receivers. You think of like Keenan Garber. Yeah. You think of uh, some of the downfield passing threats. Most of the passing game, it feels like to me, at least the threats in it have been, we're going to run it really well, and then we're going to hit you with a deep ball. We're going to hit you with the big play in the air. Keenan Garber is going to catch a 70-yard touchdown pass. But the question to me has always been, well, what about the intermediate stuff? What about the short passing routes? Can you be consistent there? And I think that was the biggest, um, I guess, takeaway for me from that game, that they can do that. Because how many times did we just see Free State say, oh, you're going to give us a four-yard out route? Here, we'll take it. Yeah. Yeah, and... and um you know, Jet has a has a, a good set of receivers to throw to. I mean, they're pretty good route runners, good hands, and so. Um, I, but I, I understand your point. Mm-hmm. Um, how many things can we can we accomplish it in a game? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Uh, the running game is stellar. We know that, um, and we've seen you know we, we've seen that um, those those deep threats. You know, kind of those those big hitter sorts of passes, but. Uh, but to, you know, to your point, yeah, um, maybe you know some some shorter intermediate routes, some tunnel screens, uh, a few seam routes. Uh, we we've seen once that I can recall a beautiful screen pass executed. Um, I think that was Willits as well. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yes. There, yeah, you're right. You 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 are talking about the one to Willits. Uh, I'm thinking about one you did. I don't think you saw, it, but to Dash mm-hmm. Cleveland. Okay. I mean, how many times in high school ball do you see a screen pass to a running back? But but it was it was set up beautifully, executed, blocked wonderfully, touchdown, and uh, and so um, you know, could we see a few more of those? I, I suppose we could, you know. But again, we're we're talking about high school players, and, yeah, and and how much you can accomplish in a practice. Yeah, absolutely. I just I just think that was a nice, uh, I guess, I don't know, a view of how they have kind of progressed to being able to hit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a multitude of different routes, which I think is definitely a positive. So you mentioned Washburn Rural, and yep. that's the opponent. We were looking at the stats for them. The Junior Blues, I believe, is the team name there. Um, definitely a team that seems to be really good passing the football. So last week, I think, maybe was almost a good, uh, I guess, uh, practice and kind of test for that because they played a team that did throw it a lot, and a big reason why was because they were down. Right, And we saw at times... Um, some passing success against this Firebirds defense. So uh, what do you think is going to be the key to kind of slowing down a Washburn Rural offense that I know we haven't seen or, or diagnosed, but just from kind of looking at, at the stat sheet, what they like to do? Well, you look at these stats, and their quarterback, Branton DeWeese, um, throwing the ball at 69% over the season, over 1,500 yards, uh, 21 touchdowns, two interceptions. That's a pretty good line. Real good number, that's, yeah. That's a pretty good line right there. And so uh, – uh, you know, your, your first and most obvious answer is pressure on the quarterback. You know, you need to get back in there. And, you know, uh, yeah, you want to see a quarterback sack, but, you know, get some guys around him. You know, uh, collapse the pocket. Don't, don't allow his feet to get set and, and make it uncomfortable 
for that quarterback to uh, to complete his passes. But um, clearly, with these kind of numbers, he's got some good receivers. So the secondary is going to be tested without a doubt. And um, starting about midway through the second quarter last week, we saw Wichita South have more success as they went um, more to those intermediate, middle of the field kind of routes. And so I think probably I've, I've got to believe that I have to believe that's been a point of emphasis this week in practice. And so probably adjusting the depths of the linebackers a little bit and uh, determining how to, how to cover some of those routes as well. But you know, pressure on the quarterback, get him uncomfortable, um, and then uh, your cover guy's got to be real good. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a fine balance because, you know, you do want to pressure the quarterback and you don't want to leave your secondary out to dry if you blitz. But I, I think one thing that definitely helps this team, and obviously there will be moments where they do that, is just the fact of that defensive line. We've talked about it each and every week. Yep. but. Certainly, this would be a good moment for that front four, for that defensive line, for the Firebirds with Ty Newhouse and Brian Lane and all the players we've seen. And I, I think they're deep, too. They rotate a lot of guys in there. Certainly, it'd be a, a pretty important week and a pretty big week for them to have one of their best weeks of the season. Newhouse, 14 tackles for loss on the season. Brian Lane with 11. Uh, um, Colton Berger with 10. So, uh, you know, that that's that's the majority of 62 tackles for loss for this team on the season. So, once again, and, and we do say it every week, but spend some time in the other team's backfield. You know, get, get that. If that defensive line, you know, if you can put that pressure on the quarterback with, with just your linemen and you're not having to send extra guys um, on a regular basis, maybe send them as sort of a surprise at times. But if that line can maintain the line of scrimmage and get into Rural's backfield, then then that's going to obviously play a big role in uh, stopping that passing game. Do you think, because I was kind of wondering about this last week, it was a bit of a chillier game, more fall weather, and it's going to be like that this Friday. I think by kickoff, uh, it's going to be around like low 50s. It'll work into the 40s. So it won't be like a freezing cold game or snowing or anything like that, and it, it's not supposed to be super windy or raining. Um but I would just think, as the weather cools off, mm-hmm. this Free State team like has the all the cliches you hear about playing in cold weather, running the football, playing defense. Yep. You know, being a solid fundamental team. Like this Free State team seems to kind of fit the billing of a a, a cold weather playing team, does it not? Well, I think so. And uh, you know, you start in August, and uh, you got you have to have November in mind if you're a team with postseason aspirations. So, what will you be able to do? effectively as the season progresses and as you get into colder or foul weather conditions. And so, yeah, the running game, obviously very important. Line of scrimmage, critical, both offensively and defensively. And so those are the kinds of things that should travel and uh, um, you, you, know, you take with you on the road and, and uh, you expect, expect those to produce for you. And, and if you can do those kinds of things, and once again, don't hurt yourself penalties turnovers don't hurt yourself and you can be in you can be in the game he's craig hersheiser he'll be on the call with joel becker on 92.9 the bull bull 929.com free state on the road against washburn rural on friday seven o'clock pregame at 645 on 92.9 the bull and then again matt llewellyn with hank booth will be on the call for lawrence high at seven o'clock here on klwn we'll have our overall high school pregame show on klwn from six Till 6.45 with Adam Dravetta. Craig, thank you so much for the time, and uh, have fun on the call tomorrow night. Well, we're looking forward to it. All right, that's Craig Hershiser. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk 
on FM 1017 and 1320KLWN. Let's get the other side of things with Matt Llewellyn and the Lawrence High Chesty Lions on the other side. Could your business use a little push right now? Need help getting the word out there that you're hiring? Do you just want to let people know how great of a product you have? Well, you can advertise with Rock Chalk Sports Talk and or the Best of RCST podcast. For more information, contact djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. All right, so we just talked the uh, free state side of things. They're taking on Washburn Rural. Again, 645, 7 o'clock. Coverage on 92.9 The Bowl, bowl929.com with Free State Washburn Rural. Lawrence High is on the road against Junction City. Got to travel a little bit further. Matt Llewellyn, Hank Booth will be on the call of that one on KLWN. Their pregame, 645, kickoff at 7. And again, we'll have our local high school pregame show from 6 to 645 with Adam Dravetta and Colcita Butar. Matt Llewellyn joins us now on the show. So talk to me about what happened last week. Lawrence High obviously moving on, advancing in the playoffs uh, was it everything that you were kind of expecting? Were there any areas that maybe surprised you a little bit? Well, I think the big thing that happened that I was really shocked at, I wasn't shocked that we came out and did really well to start the game. I, I was expecting that. Um, I wasn't expecting us to really kind of fall flat at about midway through the second quarter, which is what we did. And and we made just bonehead play after bonehead play and I made the statement during the game, it's like, I bet those kids are going to get lit up like they've never been lit up before. Because, uh, I mean, Topeka High came out and and really played a great game after that. And then that second half, those coaches on the Topeka High side figured some things out, and they took advantage of every possible thing they could. And they and that big 77 I mean, he was a beast, and he was all over the field. And I've got to think by the end of that game that that guy from Topeka High was absolutely gassed because he was he was like full steam the entire game. Um, and it was really impressive to kind of see him go. It really was. But, but they were definitely, I mean, Topeka High does not have a lot of kids out. Uh, they certainly had no fans in the stadium. Um, but, I, but I was... I was really shocked the way we fell. I mean, Topeka High beat us in the second half, flat out. They beat us. And I think we did, I believe we scored a, a field goal. I can't remember quite now, but I think we got a field goal. So we, we did beat them physically by three points. But if you look at the way the game went, we got beat. We got beat in the second half. And so I think that lit a fire under our kids. Not that we shouldn't have to have a fire lit under us during the playoffs. But I think it really did, and I and I look to see great things mm-hmm. uh, from Lawrence Hyde this week against Junction City. I really do. Yeah, we saw that a little bit from Free State last Friday. They were up thirty-five nothing at halftime, and Wichita South won the second half, twenty-two to fourteen. And you know, I think it's, I think it's kind of a two-sided thing. One, it's easy, just human nature, when you get up early in a game to you know maybe not have the same focus, and that's obviously the challenge as a coaching staff trying to make sure that that focus is still there, but also. You know, from the other end of things, like it's easy to look at it from, you know, Topeka High's lens or Wichita South's lens and say, well, this is the last football game that they're playing this year. And they know their back's against the wall now for the seniors. If they're not going and playing college football after this, this could be their final football game ever. And so there's going to be an extra, I guess, motivation, an extra amount of desperation that you're playing with at the end there that is going to make that a little bit harder when you do get an early sizable lead in a playoff game like that. But uh, I think, you know, if 
things were reversed. Like if Lawrence High or Free State falls behind, you know, 21 to 7 early in a game in, in either of these, you're going to see that desperation come the other way from those schools as well. Well, and that's how that's how it played out for Lawrence High in the Olathe North game. We we mm-hmm. got down fourteen nothing right away. What happened? We came back, got fourteen points um, in the second half, and then won it on a on a last second Grant Glasgow field goal that was heroic and incredible and awesome, uh, and just love to see that. But I have to think that 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 lit a fire under North. Mm-hmm. But that being said, uh, you know, last game. Topeka High, Clint wanted to get every guy in. He really wanted to see a lot of plays, a lot of players, and he just wasn't able to do that. And so uh, we've got a we have our work cut out for us this week at Junction City. There's no question about it. Uh, spoke to Clint on Wednesday after practice, and he was he was more he was more calm in that practice than I've seen him in any other practice this year. Um, and I asked him about that, and he was like he just he just kind of lets the kids. You know, he, he's beat up on him pretty hard, so I think he, he was kind of letting him go a little bit. But um, but I, I feel great about the way Truman is. I feel great about Coach motivating the kids in the right way and getting the kids on the right track. It is going to be a bit of a, a challenge. I don't know if you'd heard this, but uh, Lawrence High cannot get their buses until 4 o'clock. So they're, they're not going to be able to get on the road for an hour and 45-minute to two-hour road trip until four, so they could potentially not oh be gosh. in Junction City until six o'clock, which normally they're they're there at least an hour and a half, two hours before the game uh, when they go on the road. But uh, so I I'm I'm halfway thinking that they might start the game at mm-hmm. seven thirty because of that. I don't know. Uh, that is these are totally my words, not Clint's. He did not say that at all. But it wouldn't surprise me if they yeah, like if what they would happen the game if Lawrence High they just hit traffic or. One of the buses, like you know, pops a tire or something. Would they have to delay the game? Would they give them a forfeit? I don't know how that would work. Well, I mean, they've got to do something. Yeah, they can't. They can't. They can't make them forfeit the game. But I would hope not. You could very easily run into traffic in Topeka that slows them down. Mm-hmm. And and I think that I think that Clint thinking an hour and forty five. I, I think that that is. I I, I think he is. Uh, He's underestimating what that uh, those buses can do. I think that I think that I'll be able to get there in an hour and forty five, but I I can't imagine a, a bus, a school bus, getting there in an hour forty five. Yeah, uh, that's that's definitely a long trek. And Junction City looking to complete the old uh, uh, Lawrence School bingo card. They beat Free State in the playoffs last year. Now now Lawrence High this year. Just as far as as what type of team Junction City is, I know we don't obviously you know spend a lot of time watching. Centennial League football. We're spending our Friday nights watching, you know, Lawrence High and, and Free State. But just from and what Sunflower you've, League, I mean, yeah, I, I'll exactly. follow some of those guys. Exactly, but, right? Uh, but just in terms of like kind of what you've heard and and talking to Clint Bowen or doing some broadcast prep or, or looking like uh, what type of team is is Junction City? Like what uh, what type of ways do you think Lawrence High is going to kind of be stressed on Friday night? From from what I hear from from what I've saw in practice, what I see from Clint, they are. Um, they're a very balanced team. They're very good all around. There's uh, nobody that really sticks out incredibly. Um, they 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 look like they're going to do a lot of RPO, um, but not a ton. And they're going to be doing from from what I th- from what I saw from practice when I saw them with the with the scout team. Uh, they're doing. Uh, they did. They did a lot of handoffs up the middle. I mean, really, that happened. They 
It, they had a pass. Primarily, when I saw them, the scout team, it looked like they were either passing to one side or the other, and it gave the quarterback the option to throw to two or three guys, and that's all he had the option to do. Um, that's what it looked like for me. So it, it, it a solid all-around team, but no superstars. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that'll be very interesting as far as from the Lawrence High perspective of things. Like, What do you view as being the biggest keys to the Chesty Lions having a good performance and feeling like they'll be in a good spot to move on? You know, I'll tell you what I'm, what I, who I'm going to be watching a lot of, and that's Cole Watson. Cole has improved so much over the course of the year and even over the course of the, the starting in the summer. You know, he made that great catch against Free State that, uh, that everybody thought it was, or everybody in the booth thought it was uh, uh, Kivrin Heck, mm-hmm. but it ended up being Cole Watson. And it was a, it was a special, special catch uh, that really was the game sealer uh, against Free State. And, and Cole just looks, he looks so tough. And this is a kid, you know, he thought he was going to be playing uh, tackle, uh, but he lost 40 pounds of, and, and all muscle, just lost the weight uh, over the summer and worked really, really hard at getting down. He really wanted to be a tight end. I don't know if he wanted to be a tight end. I don't know exactly from Cole's perspective, but when Clint saw him this year, he was like, "Dude, this is a tight end. This is not a this is not a tackle." Mm-hmm. And so he moved him to tight end. And he has just done some great things, and I see him make great catches too, very much like Baylor. I, I'm going to be watching Cole Watson a lot, and mm-hmm. I, I think and because he's kind of an unknown, unless you saw that Free State play, but this is one catch. And he's made he's made catches throughout the season, but really their primary target's Baylor, and I kind of feel bad for Baylor because Baylor is going to be targeted all night long. He's going to be double teamed like crazy. Um, but Lawrence does some some really cool things. I mean, I, we see a lot. We see catches uh, from running backs a lot. Uh, uh, Braden and 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 Kivrin runs the option a lot, and he'll come around the side and or uh, he'll be in motion. And then they'll either throw or, or give him the ball on a quick little uh, shuffle pass in front. Clint has him doing a lot of really cool things on offense, and I, I expect to see quite a bit of little razzle dazzle, mm. uh, you know. And I, like we saw, the uh, uh, though we saw we saw them tr- attempt it last week, uh, or was it the week before? I don't remember where they uh, the the pass was to, or it was a. Basically, they they pitched the ball back to Truman on the far side of the field, and then Truman threw it downfield to Baylor. Mm-hmm. So you thought it was going to be a run, but it was double pass, a, yeah. a, a double pass, and it just totally blew up on him. Now it it worked in practice. I saw that play in practice that week, and I was like, "Oh, that could be cool," but it it blew up on him in the game. It didn't work. So you never know if we'll see that potentially see that again. But that's the kind of thing that maybe works once a season. But it didn't work the first time, so maybe it might work the second time. Well, how much faith is there, too, in the fact that, you know, anytime you have a good quarterback, it's going to make you feel like you have a chance at winning a game. And Truman Julesgard has been really good for Lawrence High all season long. So how much does that give you confidence in, in where the Lions are at in a tough environment, in a road playoff game? You know, I've given Truman uh, crap ever since he got hurt because <laughs> he has never really looked like he's been hurt. And especially the last two games, 
he's just looked like a stallion. Jeez, he had a 75-yard run. I mean, a 75-yard run. Is he playing just like broken foot? About, he's got he's got issues in his feet. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know exactly what they are, but mm-hmm. he's got issues in his feet. And he's running like a machine. I, I, I and and he throws so good and so accurately. He is. I, I think I think Truman is is a great player, and I I absolutely see him playing on the next level. Um, uh, uh, he, does he have the size for a D one player? Probably not. But man, I, he he's a good quarterback. He really is. Um, and he's got moves, and so I. I think that Truman is as healthy as, they, as he's going to be. He has continued to get healthier all season long. Um, and I know that they're kind of being f- feeling close uh, with him. And, 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 but I saw him in practice yesterday break off a bit, or Wednesday break off a big run. Mm-hmm. So uh, Truman, Truman's a stud. And I think he's going to be really, really good. All right, that's Matt Llewellyn. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk against Lawrence High on KLWN, 7 o'clock, pregame 645. The local pregame show starts at 6 on KLWN. Uh, Free State playing on 929, the Bowl Bowl 929.com. Matt, thank you so much for the time and have fun on the call. Thank you. Look forward to it with Hank, the legend, honored at KU last week or uh, on, on Wednesday night. That was so cool. All right, that's awesome. Matt Llewellyn stopping by here on the RCST studio. This is FM 1017, 1320, KLWN. Depend on it. This is RCST with Adam Dravetta, Derek Johnson here on FM 1017, 1320, KLWN. Coming up at the top of the 5 o'clock hour, we'll talk some more KU basketball. I've got a, another edition of Derek's Deep Deliberations. And uh, we've also got some Bill Self audio to play for you, as well as some Brian Borland audio as well. Uh, With all the hubbub, KU basketball starting up, we haven't even had a chance to mention the fact that Aaron Rodgers tested positive yesterday for COVID-19, and he is out for the Chiefs game. Now, to begin with, this was already kind of a a wild story because at first it was, well, how did he test positive? And the report from Ian Rappaport, I believe, said he he was unvaccinated, but then people were like, wait, I thought Aaron Rodgers was vaccinated. Turns out they went back, found the press conference. When he was asked the question about, are you vaccinated? He answered, I am immunized, I believe was was the term that he used. And, you know, at the time it was like, oh, okay, so that means he's vaccinated. But now looking back, that was basically him just using a loophole, I guess. I, that's such, I really think that was, I mean, first off, it's irresponsible on the part of Aaron Rodgers to not get his vaccine. But that was, I, I, how do you fall for that if you're a journalist? I really feel like if you're if you're the journalist who asked that question, your immediate follow-up needs to say, "Okay, you said immunized, are you vaccinated?" You needed you need to put him on the spot a little more. Now, I'll say this, he his actual word in that press conference was, "Yeah, I've been immunized." Mm-hmm. So, you could have taken it as he did say yes. Yeah. Um but either way, he was Trying to get around it to me that counts as a lie, but that's for it doesn't really matter. Um, what matters is he's not playing against the Chiefs. Yes, which moved the line a pretty heavy amount. Um, the Chiefs opened as two and a half point favorites, which I thought was wild to begin with. It, it eventually dropped down. I think you saw it at one point. It was at one. I think yeah. I think at one point the Chiefs were even a dog. Okay, so maybe it even moved to like minus one for for the Packers or something. But the point is, it was it was close to a pick'em. 
I, I checked, and the Chiefs are now favored by seven and a half points. That boggles my mind. I, I don't. I mean, Matt Lafleur is a good coach. I mm-hmm. feel like at the very least, he, he can scheme something up to avoid Jordan Love's weaknesses. And then on top of that, the it's. I mean, sure, the Chiefs' defense showed out against um, Daniel Jones and the Giants. They still, only won by three. Exactly, and so I, I that shocked me. I, I I keep wondering: are these lines the result of? Um, just the, there's such a name recognition with Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs that money keeps flowing in on them in spite of what's going on, or is it just one of those things that the sharp money actually thinks that the Chiefs are going to turn it around? That yeah. It's not just dumb money that is that's just saying, oh, it's the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes, let's put my money on them, that it's sharp money just waiting for the moment that the Chiefs get this thing figured out. It could be, because I say that all the time. Like That is what Vegas betting lines are as much as you know, it can be an indication at times of of where we sit on certain certain things and how good a team is in the market. At the end of the day, Vegas lines are put out there to try to get the most money wagered to both sides so that they can make as much money as possible, right? They want it to be an even split because Vegas takes that, what is it? Uh, it's not a 10%. I don't know, 5% cut or whatever it's, it is. Yeah, 5 or 10. Okay. So uh, the more even money, like if you get even money on both sides, they're just guaranteed to make 5%. And if there's, you know, $10 million bet on that one game. they Yeah, they get 5% of the winning side and they get all of the losing exactly. side. So, so you get uh, your $500,000 plus the losing side of it. So that's what they're trying to do. And to your point on the Chiefs, I think they're like 4-14 and 14 over the last 18 against the spread. Which, yeah, and, and I think including, I think they're one in something in the regular season because I think two of those. Oh yeah, least, I was I was counting just. I think one of those games. Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. I was going to say I know if you count the Bills game, that that adds to that. But in the regular season, in particular, they're yeah, it's yeah, yeah, it's, it's just bad. regular season games. Which think about how much money they've made off of that with how many people are probably betting on the Chiefs week in week out. Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if sixty five percent of the money a week is going on the Chiefs. I've seen some weeks where it's. I forget who it was. It was in one of the early weeks in the season. There was like 95% of the money on the Chiefs. And so Vegas has got to be rich off Kansas City right now. I would be pounding that Packers line with seven and a half. What you mentioned, like Matt LaFleur is still a really good coach. We don't really know anything about Jordan Love. But what we do know, he was still a first-round pick. He was a talented QB. So he's not going to go out there and look like Andy Dalton, I would imagine. I mean, if he if he does, the Packers. I'll say this: if Jordan Love shows up and craps in his hat against the Chiefs, the Aaron Rodgers is going to have some serious <laughs> leverage with yes, offseason negotiations with the Packers. Yes, he is. But around the quarterback too, because they still have Aaron Jones, who is a top. I don't know. I'd have to list them out of my head, but maybe top five running back in the NFL. Uh, certainly top ten. Devontae Adams, one of the best, maybe the best receiver in the NFL. Um, you have a good offensive line. You have a defense that I don't think anybody looks at as like an elite or top five defense, but certainly if you're picking the Packers defense or the Chiefs defense, who are you going with? Well, and I think on top of that, everybody has – now, I I haven't looked at the Super Bowl odds. Tampa Bay may still be the Super Bowl favorite. I don't know. But in power rankings, for whatever this means, everybody's picking the Packers. Everyone's got the Packers number one in the the power rankings. Um – They've really they they've come so far from there. I mean, they were just terrible in their first game against the Saints, and it was a lot of what's going on. Um, but ever since then, they've been unbeatable, and they just handed. Wasn't that the Cardinals' first loss? 
Yeah. They went to Arizona on, mm-hmm. on Thursday Even night without football. Devontae Adams yeah. and a bunch of other receivers. And so, I mean, that's – I don't know. I, I, Aaron Rodgers counts for a lot. He's, he's, I think, the best thrower of the ball that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's best the quarter, but the best quarterback as more goes into it, but I think he's the best thrower of the football that I've ever seen play. Um, and, and so he, he counts a lot. But if nothing else, you've got a defense that has shown a difficulty with stopping the run, um, and you've got Aaron Jones. Mm-hmm. Well, and I remember, too, the the game that happened between these two. Was it two years ago on Sunday Night Football? And uh, we didn't get uh, Patrick Mahomes-Aaron Rodgers matchup that time that either. was Mahomes out with his knee. Yes, and Matt Moore started that game. And the Chiefs kept it close. The Packers ended up winning, and there was that crazy play where Aaron Rodgers pass and yeah, to the corner of the end zone where he was rolling out and got hit. It was an unbelievable play. Those are the plays that make Aaron Rodgers what you just said, the the maybe the greatest thrower of the football ever. Um, but they hung in there, the Chiefs did, and they were able to stick around. It's It's hard for sustained success. It's hard for a backup quarterback or poor quarterback play or, you know, a non-top 20 quarterback or wherever the ranking would be to continue to have success like that. Like, if, if the Chiefs played the Packers, you know, uh, 10 times with Matt Moore as the quarterback, eventually, like, the Packers are going to start blowing them out. But when you have a good coach and good pieces around them, which the Packers do, you can get away with it for a few weeks, and I think that's how I view the Packers here. I think the fact that they have good insulation around the quarterback, even though Aaron Rodgers is so darn valuable, I think they can get away with it for a short-term game, and I think they will be able to get away with it for this game, whether that's pulling an upset or at least keeping it close within the spread. A really good offensive mind, I think, one thing they can do with like a really good offensive mind can can do incredible things with a great quarterback. We've seen that with Josh McDaniels and Tom Brady, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, um, Matt Lafleur and Aaron Rodgers. I think Mike McCarthy had his time. I think that the things kind of passed him by. Although Dallas has been pretty good this year, um, but for a time, Mike McCarthy and Aaron Rodgers. I, I, but what great offensive minds do that I think is just as important is when they have a lesser quarterback. They find ways to avoid that quarterback's negatives, and they, they, they. You know, I think Jordan Love will is going to be as good as he can possibly be under Matt Lafleur. I, I, except for maybe um, McVeigh uh, in Los Angeles or Kyle Shanahan or Andy Reid. You know, I, I think Jordan Love finds himself in a really good position, if nothing else, to stay. You know, to to have a, an offensive mind that can keep him away from his. Mm-hmm. Whatever his negatives are, you know what's interesting about this game now, though. Um, like if if Aaron Rodgers was playing and the Chiefs won, we would be convincing ourselves on Monday that okay, the Chiefs are back, they figured it out. Now, if they win this game, it's just it's more of the same with what happened against the Giants. It's just okay. Well, you didn't suffer the the big setback because now if you lose to the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, it would be viewed as a bit of a setback to where you are because of the fact that. Again, like what if you they have cover a small the spread? Would you feel good if they cover the spread? Yeah, I, I, I'm of the nature that I still think even without Aaron Rodgers, the Packers are still a good football team. Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers changed. Like if they didn't have Aaron Rodgers all year, 
uh, eventually. I, again, we don't know how long Jordan Love or, or how good Jordan Love is going to be, but I still don't think the Packers would be like a train wreck. Like maybe they're a nine and eight, ten and seven team or something. Aaron Rodgers elevates that to being like a legit, maybe the best team in the NFL. Um, so I, I still think if you, this is the type of team if you beat in any way, like I'd gladly take it, especially with where the Chiefs are at, even if the the Packers cover the spread. But it's it's not going to be a game either where we're going to come in Monday and be like, okay, they finally proved they can beat a really good team. I think I'm more kind of concerned about, or not, I don't know if concerned, but I'm more looking at how does this um, offense, this Chiefs offense, they have an opportunity to show something against a, a decent defense, and they haven't shown an ability to do that pretty much this whole year against a defense that gives them any sort of trouble. Um and, and, again, it's another opportunity to stop turning the ball over. And, you know, you give defenses credit for taking the ball away, but you can point to a lot of these these turnovers and, and find blame on the offense, too. I, I, you know, maybe half and half that some of them, the defense just made a great play. And other times it was just a what on earth were you thinking by the offense. Um, but, yeah, I, I – I don't know. I, I I would take a win no matter what. If nothing else, the Chiefs will be five and four, and we haven't even gotten into the the tragic situation with with Henry Ruggs. But you you could look at it now and say, well, what we you know all of a sudden is are the you know is is it two games against the Raiders that all of a sudden look really really winnable, and then on top of that, you've got two games against the Broncos that look really really winnable. If you snag a win here, even if it's not impressive. Um, you still have an opportunity to go five and four with four pretty winnable games still left on your schedule. Yeah, and that's going to be ultra important. We know how many good teams they still have left on the schedule, like the Cowboys or at Cincinnati, although they suffered a setback versus the Jets, but so did the Titans. So I don't know, just kind of weird there. Uh, you still have to play at the the Chargers. Like it's it's going to be tough sledding uh, to get where you need to go. And I don't know if 9-8 and eight or 10-7 and seven will be enough to make the wild card um, this year for the Chiefs. But certainly this is one of those opportunities, I think, that is now similar to the Giants, just a better team. But where if you lose this game, you're going to feel like it was a lost opportunity and that that might be the kind of nail in the coffin at the end of the year we're going to look back on and say that was the difference for them not making it into the playoffs. But if they win this game, it's not going to change everything. All of a sudden, it's not going to say that was their statement win that they finally needed. But at the very least, it's avoiding that negative side of things of losing that game. And that is the most important part of what you can come out with this game. So you have a great opportunity without Aaron Rodgers. Just don't spoil it. And for this team right now, you don't have all the faith in the world that that wouldn't be the case because of the fact that you just barely beat a Giants team with Daniel Jones that is not better. It's probably worse than the Packers, but also at the same point in time, Daniel Jones might be worse than Jordan Love. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Two hours down, one to go with Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN, klwn.com, depending on it. All right, welcome back in. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. As our 5 o'clock hour here, KU victorious. Who would have thought against Emporia State? 
in their exhibition opener. All right, a little edition of Derek's Deep Deliberations, KU Basketball Edition. First up. Are you deliberating firing me because I don't know how to get the music started at the beginning of the segment? We figured it out eventually, just like KU is trying to do with Remy Martin. Uh, thought number one, Mitch Lightfoot was the first big off the bench. That's not really a thought, but I just thought it was kind of interesting, so I scribbled it down. He didn't really do anything to impress. I mean, in fact, his first stretch in the game kind of did the opposite, but um, overall, he just gives you experience in there. You know he's going to be a solid rim protector. He's going to try his butt off. And I was listening to the post game afterwards. Curtis Townsend was talking to David Lawrence. It's pretty clear that Mitch Lightfoot has a leg up on the backup five roll right now. I wouldn't take that to continue. I think eventually he gets beat out. I think Zach Clements is, is kind of rising that way. Maybe even Cam Martin gets above Mitch Lightfoot as well. But it seems like at least in the early going, Mitch Lightfoot's going to be the guy as the backup five. Um. Yeah, I I I think the 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 proof of that will come um, against Michigan State. Whoever I think whoever comes off the the first big off the bench against Michigan State will be who Bill Self truly believes. It's kind of like we talked about with Connor T or uh, Chris T and coming off the bench, um, or I mean starting rather against Emporia State. Whoever actually starts uh, against Michigan State will be who Bill Self truly believes is, is the proper one in that category. And if it turns out to be Mitch Lightfoot as the first big off the bench against Michigan State, that will tell us a lot, I think. Yeah, that will tell us a lot. But again, I'm, I'm not expecting it to continue. All right, thought number two. The shots that Remy Martin hit off the dribble and the one where he hit off the one foot it feels like it was not something that anybody even had the possibility of doing a season ago. And I know that's a bit of hyperbole, but at least not consistently. Um, the real question is how does he excel in other areas like moving without the ball, playing defense? That's a big one that Bill Self mentioned running the offense where he's not just the scorer, where he's not just the guy who, you know, I pass you the ball after I get stuck. And then I immediately am clapping my hand saying, Hey, give me the ball right back. Like, you have to do other things without the ball as well, so um, that'll be kind of interesting. But also the pass to Ochai in the corner in the first half. I think that was a great sign, but that'll be overwhelmingly the question to just how much Bill Self trusts him, meaning how much he plays and, I mean, how successful this season is for him between just being a solid contributor and being a star, which at the end of the day, that might just end up being the difference in KU being a legit contender or not. Uh, getting open without the ball is one of the one of the premier strengths of Ben McLemore when he was uh, at at Kansas. He was um, fantastic. You know the 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 dunks were incredible, and he, you know he was a great shooter. But uh, it, it was more, you know, n this is not a knock on Ochai Abaji, but I think a lot of what o Ochai Abaji's great shots are going to come from somebody collapsing the defense and and getting him open as a result. Ben McLemore was fantastic at getting himself open, and Remy Martin has that sort of athleticism. That that will be huge. Mm -hmm. And again, like Bill Self values the other stuff, so to speak, so much that it is going to be so important between the off-ball stuff uh, that that'll really matter at the end of the day. But uh, some of that shot making was absolutely incredible and so much fun to watch. You, had, you saw perfect examples of things you can't coach there. Exactly. And, uh, and think real quick. Think about it, last year and somewhat in 2020, but, you know, Yudoka Azubuki was such a reliable force down low. But think last year and 2019, uh, particularly after Doka got injured and they just had Diedrich Lawson, 
think of how frustrating it was to watch that offense. It was such a grind for them to try to get points. And you just saw examples last night of if it's it just things are going to look more smooth and enjoyable to watch. A hundred percent, and it's going to open up game for you know other people just getting open off of him. All right, thought number three. I thought the most interesting lineup of the night was when KU had Remy Martin, Joe Yesifu, Bobby Pettiford all on the court at the same time. That's three lead guards. All on the court at the same time, although Joe Yasufu, maybe he's more of like a two guard. Um, And then you had Christian Brown at the four, Cam Martin at the five. That is all sorts of shooting on the court. That is very interesting with having three lead guards. KU did that on occasion in 08, right? With Sharon Collins, uh, Russell Robinson, and Mario Chalmers. There were times when I think all three of them played together. I'd have to go back and watch. I'll say that this kind of puts you at a, a liability. Um from a you know defensive standpoint, so I don't know how often you'll see it, but it makes for some excitement, some potential fireworks on the offensive side of the ball. I- I'm trying to think back. I'm sure it happened, but I don't know exactly when it would have happened. But yeah, I- I'm sure there were times. Uh, but I think more than anything, it shows an example of what we were talking about earlier: the 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 diversity of potential lineups of this team. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, to just be be neutral be you know play even for five minutes while a couple guys are in foul trouble or need a break you know that's a perfect example of a lineup that is not an ideal lineup but if a couple guys get in foul trouble it's also not a disaster no and i think that helps you like wouldn't that not be like a perfect lineup uh, uh, to what you're mentioning mentioning to play kind of even if you're playing like a mid-major who starts three small guards and a stretch four Right, you have Christian Brown at the four, and you have three guards out Especially there. Especially if the stretch four can shoot. Exactly. So I, I think that's I, – I don't know how often we'll see that lineup. We might not see that lineup again all season long, but just I think it shows kind of the uh, – like the mad scientist that Bill Self is going to have to be this year with some of these lineups, and that one just really caught my eye because of the kind of oddity of having three point guards and then just five shooters on the court at the same time, and I actually do hope we see it at some point off the bench just to see what it looks like. Uh, thought number four, we heard about it for a while this offseason. We've discussed it for a while, but everything seemed to be true about K.J. Adams. He had a five-minute stretch, and I noted all these things in this five-minute stretch. A layup off of getting into good positioning off the ball, a good entry feed for an assist to David McCormick. I mean, a really good entry feed on an assist to David McCormick. He had a stop in the post. He grabbed a rebound. He had a swing pass that was basically a hockey assist that quickly got a good look for, I think, Bobby Pettiford to get an entry feed. And then he had a good shot contest. And this is just a handful of things that we saw in about a five-minute stretch from K.J. Adams. I was really impressed with what I saw, and I continue to have kind of a a belief that he is going to have some sort of a part of the rotation. I don't know how many minutes because, as we know, there's not that many minutes to go around when you have so many bodies, but could it be playing, you know, five, eight minutes on as the four-man? Could it be playing four or five minutes as, as a small ball five? I think he is going to be a part of this rotation. I might be undermining K.J. Adams' ability a little bit, but I I don't see him as a guy who has a great chance to leave early and be drafted high. No, he doesn't have a jump shot right now. So Yeah, so I could see him being a a four-star player who is absolutely loved at KU and and everybody talks about Perry Ellis, but be the type of player who plays 
contributes for full, full four full years. And because we're so used to guys leaving, by his senior year, could be one of those guys that other teams in the conference are going, he's really still there, yeah. <laughs> even though he's just in his fourth year, because you're going to see contributions from K.J. Adams starting now, and, and it'll just grow as, as he gets into further into his career. The lack of, of shooting probably limits him from playing the three, but he can handle the ball. He can pass it, obviously. I mean, that entry post-pass was better than some just teams overall for KU that we've seen in some recent years. He's a good defender. He's going to hustle his butt off. He's going to play good defense. I've heard him described by some as being like a, a high floor, low ceiling prospect, to your point, about being a guy who's probably going to be here for a while. You could look back on him in the same way that, you know, uh, KU looked back on like Jamari Trailer or Baylor looked back on Mark Vital, a guy who again stayed for a long time, impacted things winning in ways that you didn't have to get him the ball and let him shoot 10 times a game. And that has a lot of value. And KU has a couple of those guys this year that I think makes it really exciting to the fact that even though they are so deep and have a lot of guys who are going to need shots, guys like Dewan Harris and KJ Adams allow you to have guys like Ochag Baji and Remy Martin who can take a lot of shots without kind of upsetting the team chemistry or balance. You hope injury never happens, but you could see K.J. Adams as, as if for whatever reason, like I, I think back to um, Thomas Robinson, and obviously he endured a great bit of tragedy, but Thomas Robinson, his first game back after at his sophomore year, after everything had to deal with, that team, that was the team with the Morris Twins. So Thomas Robinson was not a... He was a contributor, but he wasn't even a starter, I don't think, on that team. But he had just these moments where you just went, whoa. And that I can see with K.J. Adams where you can kind of see, you know, like it's just some Saturday afternoon game and the story is K.J. Adams just because he just has, you know, he's got the talent and he just has a day where everything comes together. And, you know, it just he puts on a show uh, when nobody's expecting it. Okay, my fifth question mark and final shot or final thought, excuse me, is uh, the biggest compliment that I can pay David McCormick from that game last night, because obviously, you know, he dominated like you expect him to when you're playing a a D2 opponent. Um, But the biggest compliment I can pay is that my favorite play that he had in that game there was a Dewan Harris layup where he drove into the lane and Dewan got an easy layup at the rim. And it was provided because David McCormick sealed off his man in the lane and allowed Dewan to have the easy lane to a wide open layup. And how many times did we see, you know, Yudoka Azubuki his senior year or Landon Lucas as a junior and senior create driving lanes for Frank Mason or whoever the guard would be by sealing off the defender and creating a lane and giving an easy bucket. And I don't think we always saw that maybe last year for KU. So the fact that David McCormick did that, I think, like, David McCormick already, we know him as a great post scorer. To add that to your game that's going to help other teammates was such a big play in my mind from such a small thing that happened. Yeah, that's that's a good eye. I also think it's a blast when when there's just a helpless defender behind him clutching his <laughs> arm and he just having to watch a guy walk to the basket for for a layup is is just fun. Yeah. And so I mean, when you're talking about having a team that has a bunch of small guards like Remy Martin, Dewan Harris and, you know, Dewan's got good height, but uh Remy Martin, Joe Yesifu, Dewan Harris like 
smaller guards, you're going to need to open up driving lanes for them. And certainly having good shooters on the outside helps. Having centers that not only are going to score down low, but are going to carve out that space for you. I think that would be a huge progression in David McCormick's game. I think he did a better job of it as the season went on last year. But if you can get up to like, like Landon Lucas was the king of doing that for KU and he doesn't get credit for it on the stat sheet, but if you counted those as like big man assists or like big man screen assists, he would have a ton of them. And that was awesome to see for David McCormick in that game. Especially uh, because I think McCormick has more talent than Landon. Yeah. And so uh, that is my deep deliberations. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is FM 1017-1320-KLWN's Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Coming up next, we'll let you hear from Bill Self what he had to say to the media after the KU win over Emporia State. This is KLWN, klwn.com. Depend on it.